Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. Hi there, I want to welcome you to episode number four of A Minute with Coach Riggs. And uh, I'm going to call this episode kind of odds and ends. I got three or four different subjects that I I want to uh, approach as uh, we're getting into the latter part of uh, college football season. We got high school playoffs going on and so forth. First thing I want to do is thank everyone uh, for your comments. I've seen a number of people who said, hey, we're listening to the podcast. We're enjoying it. We're looking forward to what's coming up. I do appreciate that. I know we've got a number of um, comments on Facebook about the podcast and how they're looking forward to certain things that are going to happen in the future. We certainly hope to have have some fun with this, and I'll I'll talk about a little bit of that in in uh, the episodes to come. But I do want to kind of approach a couple things about the podcast itself. I, I'm still not on Apple Podcasts yet. I've got some <laughs> I've got some technical issues. And by the way. My technicians are really good, but they work for free. Sometimes they're they're not available because they actually are working their jobs and actually pay them money. So, you know, when I get an opportunity, I, I get my technicians and, and we get a few things fixed. So hopefully I'm going to get some of that fixed. But um, one way to get the podcast, if you're listening on your phone, you can get the Podbean app. So my my host is Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. And you can get the Podbean app, and um, all the episodes will come up there. And I think you can follow me, and I guess that means that maybe you're going to get some kind of message somewhere <laughs> that uh, there's a new episode up or something. You know, I re- I'm, I'm really still kind of fuzzy with some of that. Vicky and I bought a new car, new vehicle back in February. We had the darndest time just trying to figure out how to turn the heater on. You know, in the old days, they had a button that said heat. You punched it. It had a little lever there that had, you know, two or three different fan speeds so that you could uh, get a little more heat if you wanted. But today we have all these great uh, latest technical things that go on. And, you know, this this car had all the latest stuff in it. But it's still hard for some of us folks to figure out how to do that. We eventually figured out how to, how to get the heat on. But it took us a little while in order to be able to do that. Well, the same thing here with this podcasting. There's a lot of technology out there about podcasting that I'm just learning right now. So I'll eventually get it, but it's it has uh, been a challenge and will still continue uh, to be a challenge, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm still on Spotify. If you listen to your music on Spotify, you can get them there. I think I'm on Google Podcast uh, as well. You can go to Facebook and um, when I... When I uh, have a new episode up, I'll post it on Facebook. Uh, so you can, and what happens is you can get a link there. You can't embed a player on Facebook, but you can get a link there, which will take you to Podbean so that you can get the uh, get the podcast. I also have a Twitter account. So if you're on Twitter, you can uh, search there a minute with Coach Riggs and follow me there. And what it'll do for you is it'll do the same thing, I think. But you'll be able to know when a new episode's up. And you'll be able to hit that link and go to Podbean and go from there and listen to the uh, latest episode uh, there. So 
I'd like to say that I am not a Facebook person. A few years ago, I went on Facebook for, you know, a year or so to kind of, I was posting some stories and things there, but that's basically all I ever did. I, I didn't really get, I really didn't go down through there and look at the, whatever they call that when you, you're looking at what's going on there. I don't know a whole lot about Facebook, but I am back on. And so I do know these things, all right, that, that we can, we can do. I know that you can comment on whatever you see. And I know it's my understanding that you can direct message me. And the reason I say that is that if you have questions uh, that you would like answered and you'd like me to take a, take a run at, uh, don't hesitate to um, either direct message me or uh, ask a question there on, on the Facebook page. And I have a, a page that's a minute with Coach Riggs as well as my own regular page. If you'll give me your questions, I will do my best uh, to answer those. In fact, I'm going to do some episodes where all I'm doing is answering questions that people have posed to me. So you see me around, you want to ask me something, ask me something, hey, I'd like to hear you talk about this. Or if you give me a call, a text message, like I said, direct message, or hit me on Facebook, or however you want to do it, I'll do my best to uh, try to get those answered. In fact, I have one listener in Nashville, Tennessee, who's already posed several questions to me that he would like to have answered. So. I'm going to do my best to get those things answered for him. And we'll do the same thing for you. So again, we'll try to have a show every once in a while where I'm just answering questions from uh, from the listeners. And, and hopefully I can... By the way, there's also the, the, the chance that the statute of limitations might not have run out on some things that have occurred in my coaching career. So I might not be able to give you all the information, but I will do my best... Uh, be able to give you as much information and answer your questions as much as I can. Now, the other thing I just want to mention is my logo. If you've seen my logo, that is a great logo. Okay, so when you saw it, the first thing you thought is, well, he didn't have anything to do with it, and you would be right. I had absolutely nothing to do with this logo, but it looks fantastic. If you've checked out my intro all right, is that guy enthusiastic or what? I mean, he makes me sound like, hey, this is going to be really good. So if my podcast can live up to my logo and my intro, I'll be in business. You know, uh, Donnie Rock taught me many, many years ago that how you look makes a difference. And so, again, that's why we were trying to get a good logo and a good intro. And so we're off to a good start with that anyway. So we hope that the podcast will be the equal of, of those two things. Been watching football lately and um, college football, high school football. And one thing that uh, has become evident to me is how important difference makers are. Now let me kind of tell you what a difference maker is. A difference maker is a guy on a football field who just seems to be a little better at his job than everybody else and makes a real, real difference on your team. In football, a lot of times, in this day and time, difference makers are more important at certain positions. So in this day of spread offense, that you can't spread guys out everywhere unless you can get them the ball. 
And so you need a quarterback that can get them the ball. So that's a position that it's always been to a certain extent difference makers there. But if you have a quarterback that can be accurate, that can get the ball to those guys out wide and down the field, and he can also run the ball so that as you start spreading out to try to handle those, he can run the ball up in there when there's less people up in the box. By the box, I mean up inside where the um, offensive and defensive linemen play it. Quarterbacks are difference makers, and there are a few few of them out there that there truly are, certainly in pro football and, and obviously in, uh, in college football. And Alabama's quarterback is a, is a difference maker, tremendously accurate, knows where to go with the ball. So he's a difference maker, and there are, are several more of them out there. Another uh, thing that can be a difference maker at times is when you have players who are just a little bit faster than everybody else. You know, went to the Miller-Hanley game the other night, and Hanley had a running back and defensive back just faster than everybody else, and he's a difference maker. Uh, and, and I had one of those in Ron Gibson back uh, in 1990, and I can tell you that with Ron Gibson, when you ran off tackle with Ron, there was times he ran off tackle, there was a hole there, and instead of gaining 8 or 10 yards, Ron would go 50 or 60 yards for a touchdown. He would do that and break that thing to the outside and outrun the defensive backs. Just be tremendous. He was a difference maker for us because he had that speed, that, that unusual speed where he could go the distance on any play. You know, I had some other backs that were great backs, but they didn't have that speed to go the distance. You know, they might end up with a 15 or 20-yard gain, but they don't go the 60 or 70 yards for a touchdown. So guys that are faster than everybody else, guys that got moves uh, that can make uh, things happen, they're difference makers. And so I'll give you an example. Like, you know, Alabama was playing LSU last week. Uh, um, uh, the Bryce Young takes the ball, and he drops back there. And the, one of the wide receivers of Alabama had gone in motion. And when they snapped the ball, he just kind of went and sat up out there, you know, right behind the line of scrimmage. And he's just kind of sitting out there. And not really going downfield. He's just kind of sitting out there right behind the line of scrimmage. LSU had covered everybody downfield, and so – Alabama's quarterback dumps the ball out there to him, and he caught the ball. When he caught the ball, the defensive back, I'm going to say, was five or six yards off of him, something like that. And he tried to make a move to the left and a move to the right, and about that time, the defensive back tackled him. He didn't go anywhere. He actually lost yards on the play. Two years ago, if Alabama had thrown that same ball and thrown it to Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith would have looked at that guy, given a little wiggle, gone down the sideline and scored. So the difference between a loss of two yards and a touchdown is the fact of you threw it two years ago to a difference maker. And he won the Heisman Trophy because he was a difference maker. He could make those big plays happen. And Alabama had an offense coordinator at the time who knew how to get him the ball, who came up with multiple ways to get him the football. Difference makers are important. You know, sometimes those difference makers are defensive linemen. Saturday night, I was at the Auburn game, and essentially Auburn beat Texas A&M because of the fact that Auburn has a difference maker playing defensive end and rushing the passer. And he sacked the quarterback and stripped him and caused the ball to come out. Auburn got the ball, ended up kicking a field goal, and that was the difference in the game. Essentially, they won the game because they had a difference maker rushing the passer. So difference makers are important. They're important in every level of football. I had some uh, occasionally you get linebackers who can who can defend the run inside and be tough and big enough in there to do that. And they can play outside and cover people and 
with man coverage. Those guys are difference makers. And sometimes you have difference makers on your team from a leadership standpoint. I had some guys down through the years who were just great, great leaders. And they made a difference on our team. They made our team better because of that. So difference makers are a big deal. Now, part of the problem, though, with difference makers is they get a lot of the attention. And one of the things that college football coaches are struggling with right now is how to build teams. Because of the fact, now they've always had issues with the, the better players getting a lot of the attention. They get all the ink and the newspaper and the television. And they're always talking about the quarterback, the running back, and so forth. That's always been part of the game, and, and everybody understood that. But still, a lot of the players sometimes get a little jealous of that. It's just human nature that those kind of things would happen. Now we have money involved through NIL. So not only are they getting some of the attention, but a lot of those guys are getting most of the money as well. We've got that issue to deal with. And college coaches trying to navigate the world of NIL and build teams have a tremendous challenge in front of them. And I don't know where it's going. I don't think any of them know where it's going. They're trying to get them to come up with some, some rules and some laws about NIL that would allow you to make that thing a little bit more equal to everybody. But I don't really think that's going to end up happening. So they've got great problems with that. The, the Nick Sabins and the Dabo Swinnies and those kind of guys who've been able to build these great team concepts, okay, at Bama and Clemson, they're having great difficulty. Uh, with this NIL stuff because they have to embrace it so that they can recruit the players they need to be successful. But at the same time, it's against what they really believe in that you treat a lot of people differently. You know, on teams, we tried to treat everyone the same as much as we could. It was never perfect, but you tried to do that as much as you could. Georgia and Clemson are two of the teams who have not embraced the transfer portal at all. Part of the reason they don't want to do that is because of their team concepts. And here's what I'm talking about. You know, a lot of times we say, well, we got this guy. He's going to play wide receiver. And boy, everybody's all excited about him coming. Well, that's not always true. Say that, um, you know, I'm a, a guard. I didn't get to play very much last year. I was young. Uh, this is my time to win a start job and, and play. And all of a sudden we get in there in January and they've brought in two or three other offensive linemen. One of them started at guard at another SEC school last year. Now this was my opportunity to play and now they brought these folks in and, and I look like I'm second string again. So I can tell you that causes issues sometimes on teams. You know, they're frustrated with that and they get, they, they get their feelings hurt over that kind of stuff. You just, it's hard to imagine right now all of the issues that are coming up with the NIL money and the transfer portals and those kind of things. By the way, the uh, NCAA made a rule this summer that we went to transfer portal windows. Before that, you could enter the transfer portal anytime you wanted to. You know, you get mad during, <laughs> during fall practice, you could enter the transfer portal, you know, like August the 10th if you wanted to. Now there are two windows, and the first window, I believe, opens up the first full week of December. You know, after the last regular season games and they've announced who's going to be in the playoff and that kind of thing, I think that Monday you can enter the transfer portal there. Uh, that and, and that's supposed to last for like five or six weeks, I believe. In other words, it's going to last long enough for players to be able to uh, find their new team and 
go uh, enter the spring semester at their new school and be there for spring practice and so forth. So that's the reason for that window. The second window is going to happen May the 1st through May the 15th so that uh, players can participate in spring practice, have some idea of how much playing time they might get in the fall, and then if they feel like they need to transfer, they'd have a two-week window to transfer to uh, be able to get in the summer semester or uh, fall semester, obviously, so that they can play football be eligible that year. So that's kind of the way that, that thing's working right now. And so that, that's helpful to coaches now. And the transfer portal's a big deal. I mean, that most of them have, uh, most everybody has in their offices, they have people that do nothing but work the transfer portal. You know, they're, they're wanting to know who's going to be on there and who's coming up and you know, who it is they can get. And they have needs that they want, uh, whether we need a few offensive linemen, we need a defense lineman or a linebacker. We're looking to see who's coming in the transfer portal. By the way, most time they know who's coming in the transfer portal because they all talk. I mean, players talk, coaches talk, uh, players and coaches talk, parents talk. These these players all know each other, a lot of them, because of the fact that, number one, that some of them played high school football against each other or with each other. Some of them were recruited at the same time as, as some of these other guys. So they, they went to recruiting things, and they got to know each other there. Some of them certainly got to know the assistant coaches. They were recruited by, if, if they were a four-star and they got recruited by 10 or 12 or 15 schools, whatever it was, they know all the coaches that recruited them at those schools. They have their phone numbers and so forth. Certainly all the parents, the same way, they have phone numbers, some of those coaches. So what's going on probably, I would think now is, you know, there's some communication going on about, hey, I think I'm gonna leave. Another guy might say, hey, call up a, a, one of his buddies at another school and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving. You think they put me on scholarship here? So it's just a lot of that kind of starting to build, but the transfer portal will become open where they can get in on that thing at the first part of December. Uh, not all four- and five-star guys pan out. That's not an exact science. There are a lot of three-star guys or guys that didn't have that many stars who end up doing well in Division I college football and going on and playing in the NFL. Not everybody pans out all the time. Uh, there are reasons for that. Some of them are practice and work issues. Sometimes they have drug issues. They don't advertise all that sometimes, but that's what's what's happening and what's uh, what's going on. So, and some of them end up were just overrated. They're not quite, they were, they were better high school players, not quite as good and when the competition got tougher in college, they weren't able to respond to that. And if you don't believe that, go back and look at, say, four years ago, who all the four- and five-star guys were coming out and see how many of those guys you've really never heard of, how many of those guys that went to school and never really played a whole lot, or they end up going to school and staying a year or two, then they transfer to some other place, and they end up maybe playing some kind of even Division two or something football, and certainly that, that transpires. Back in the early 90s, I coached in the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. Uh, we had a linebacker, I believe we've played linebacker, who came in, who certainly would have been a four-star. Everybody recruited him. He was a big old kid. He could run, was, was pretty aggressive, and everybody thought he was going to be a great uh, college football player. And, and in those days, you know, when, when you went to Mobile, we would come down, we would spend a week. you come in on like Sunday. The game was played in Mobile. You would come in like on Sunday afternoon 
and uh, check in. They give you physicals and all that kind of stuff. And then you practice twice a day. You practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings and afternoon. You practice Thursday morning, Thursday afternoons. And then the last practice would be on Friday mornings. And then after you finish practice on Friday mornings, uh, everybody would kind of go, shower, rest up a little bit. Then they would take them for some social events you know, on Friday afternoon and Friday night. The day of the game on Saturday, um, they would have some couple of little events, a big pep rally thing at the mall and, and that kind of thing. So it was a pretty good pretty good experience. Well, a lot of times these guys come in, you don't know a whole lot about them, but you, you've read about them some, you know, and uh, we had a linebacker, he had signed with Alabama, was going to go to Alabama to play, and he came in to practice, and we start out there, and we start practicing all, and this guy acts like he doesn't want to be here. He's got his lips poked out, his effort is kind of just so-so, it wasn't bad, but it just he just acted like he didn't really want to be there. He never said anything to anybody. Looked like he was really unhappy, you know. Folks tried to talk to him a little bit, and he didn't have much to say one way or the other. So as the week went on, it didn't get much better at all. And uh, so everybody's kind of wondering what the deal is with him. Well, we go out, practice on Friday morning before the Saturday game. It was the last practice. Well, a lot of times, a lot of the parents and all would start coming in, like on Thursday night, and they would come to practice on Friday and watch practice and see their sons and all that kind of stuff, you know, and then they would spend Friday night and go to the game on Saturday evening and so forth. So we get through with the last practice, and, and, and I'm walking off the field, and I'm fixing to head out, and, and uh, this linebacker walks in front of me. And, you know, I, I watched him go on, and, and as he crossed in front of me, he had this big old smile on his face. It's the first time I'd seen this kid smile all week. Nobody had. And I watched and looked over there, and his parents were over there, and he saw his parents, and he was headed over there towards them. But more than his parents, his parents had his girlfriend. And when he saw his girlfriend, he went over there and gave her the biggest hook. Okay, I'm not very smart, but his problem was he missed his girlfriend. And I remember saying at the time that I don't know a whole lot about him, but I do think this. I'll be surprised if he goes to the University of Alabama and plays football next fall unless his girlfriend is attending the University of Alabama as well. And sure enough, that fall, he spent about three days. He, he reported, spent about three days at practice, and then there was a note on there that he had decided to quit and go back home. We, we don't know what all their issues are and what their things are. They're four stars. They're five stars. But uh, some of them are more motivated than others. Some of them uh, just, just have some issues that keep them from being the kind of player that they were predicted to be. It's just one of those things that occurs. T.R. Miller had a really good football season this year. I thought that we played really hard. Uh, we certainly played hard on defense. Um, we certainly had the ability to uh, to run the ball. Uh, we had a sophomore quarterback I thought played really well, and he got injured in the last last part of the season, which uh, certainly probably had some effect on us down there. But at the end of the day, we looked well coached when we go out there and played. Coach Hubbard, Brent Hubbard, and his staff I thought did a really nice job this year of coaching our football team. We lost to UMS and Hanley, uh, two really good teams. We ended up with a record of 10-2. and two. To me, 10 wins was always the standard. You know, when I coached high school football, if you could win 10 games, I think that really says you had a really good football team. Um, having coached at other places, to be able to go in there and win 10 games is a heck of a year. 
I know that there's been times that I coached players where we just struggled to win anything. We struggled to win two, three, four games. To be able to win 10 games is a pretty good deal. And so Miller had a really good team again because they were a 10-win team. The record for the most 10-win seasons in the state of Alabama is held, is tied by three schools. Uh, the first of those schools is Maplesville. They've, won, they've had 28 10-win seasons in their history. So it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that uh, you know, Miller's coach, uh, Brent Hubbard, came from Maplesville. So he understands a lot about winning and consistency and what it takes. Maplesville's had 28 10-win seasons. The second team that's tied is Hoover. Now, before they were Hoover, they were Berry High School. So Hoover slash Berry has had 28 10-win seasons. That's pretty good. And the third team that's tied with 28, because they had a 10-win season this year, is tied with 28 seasons of 10 wins or more, is T.R. Miller. That says something, I think, about our football program down through the years. I think it says something about our school. It certainly says something about the administration who put importance on athletics and football and understood that. And, and I also think that down through the years, we didn't overemphasize that. I think we had a healthy respect for academics. We certainly tried to do our part uh, in the athletic department when uh, athletes would misbehave in class, have problems at school, that we tried to help with those things you know, down through the years. Uh, we had administrators who understood the importance that, that it played in the school. We had teachers who certainly supported that. And again, if they had issues with football players, they knew they could get a hold of me and we'd have a discussion after practice with that player. And uh, usually there was a little bit of running involved in some of that. Uh, that They were important as well. It certainly says something about the great young men we've had play football at Miller. And it says something about the quality of the coaches that that we were able to bring in on my staff for many years and on some of these other staffs where we had just quality coaching. A lot of that has to do with, again, help from the administration, getting those guys in the school system, paying them a healthy wage, and, and it allowed you to keep some of those guys because really uh, one of the things that, that's, that's difficult, whether it's college or high school, whatever, if you're constantly changing coaches, it's just tough. And we were able to hang on to some of our coaches who coached here for a number of years, and certainly uh, that made a difference. So 10 wins standard uh, to be uh, at the top of that with two other schools, I think says a whole lot about uh, the people, the community, the support that we've had uh, for, for many, many years. And by the way, I'll give you another stat here. From 1983 to 2016, that's 34 years. 33 of those 34 years, T.R. Miller has won at least eight games. Now, again, I can tell you, there are a lot of schools, they win eight games, make the playoffs, you know, they're celebrating. Said, I'm, and I'm here to tell you that we've done that 33 of, the, of, of a streak here through 2016, which was uh, basically 1983 was the year before we started the change in the uh, football playoffs. And 2016 was the year after I retired. That, that period right there, 33 of those 34 teams won at least eight games. 
that's pretty spectacular. And if you understand, if you really truly understand how hard it is to win a football game sometimes and how many difficulties you have, you have to go through injuries and all kinds of different things, to be able to pull that off is really, I think, a tremendous accomplishment to be able to do that. And in the last, and I don't have this stat in front of me, but over the last 50 something years, we've had like three losing seasons. You would think that at a school in a town this small, we would just hit a streak where we just didn't have enough athletes to play and that we would have had a losing season down there. We just had so few of those down through the years. It certainly, as fans, um, makes us a little bit uh, sometimes we just don't appreciate the winning as much as we should sometimes uh, because there's been so much of it. I think uh, a lot of other places where they don't have as much, they have an eight or a ten win season. They celebrate that a little bit more than even maybe we do at Miller. So I would encourage you to celebrate our team this year. Uh, another great season, another ten win season that was our 28th. So the other night I'm at um, Miller Hanley game and I saw Charlie German come on the field. Charlie, uh, of course, lived in Bruton practically his whole life. He's had um, a, a grass cutting business in Bruton for a long, long time. So everybody knows Charlie. Charlie played football at T.R. Miller back in the late 70s, number 15. Was a really, really good player. As he came onto the field that night, he saw me and he says, hey, by the way, I just want you to know, I heard the episode on Miss Lilla Burns. Now, uh, that was uh, episode three that we did about Miss Burns, who was my middle school science teacher. And Charlie says, I just want you to know, that lady could swing a paddle. He says, unbelievably, he says, she's the only one who ever brought tears to my eyes. Now, knowing what I've known about Charlie German for a number of years, I'm quite certain that Charlie probably deserved all those paddlings he got from from Miss Burns in science class. But uh, the other thing he said about her was, you know, she was the best teacher I ever had. So I think it's just a, a kind of reemphasizes the fact that quality people do quality work. We we have respect for those teachers and those people who, who did a good job at their job and treated people fairly. So Charlie certainly uh, uh, emphasized that uh, the other night. And uh, like I said, I did go to the uh, Auburn uh, Texas A&M game the other night, and I'll close with this. So it was really, I mean, most of the folks there, I think, didn't properly prepare for the weather that came in because the wind was blowing 20 miles an hour. The temperature had dropped down there, eventually dropped down there before the end of the game, down there below 50, and the wind's blowing. And I'm not sure what the wind chill factor was, but it was certainly cold enough to make you cold. And those people that braved the upper deck in the first half, I mean, those are those are true champions. And so most of the upper deck kind of cleaned out, not because they didn't want to stay at the game, but because I think they just didn't have any clothes. They were freezing. It was, But it was a, a really quality game and a good win. Came back home after the game, went to church Sunday, and I'm walking out of church, and I saw uh, Mary Charles and Randy Acreage, knowing that they are Auburn people. I said, hey, War Eagle, how about that win last night? And they had big smiles on their faces. Yeah, that was great. Boy, it was great to see them get a win. Before they got in their car, I'm going to quote this. I, I may have to paraphrase this, but Randy looked at me and said, you know, it's amazing what a little bit of enthusiasm will do. And you know he's right. The one thing that uh, Cadillac Williams has done for Auburn is give them some of that enthusiasm again. And we forget sometimes how important enthusiasm is. And certainly, uh, having been a football coach, I can tell you it's really important. It's really important all the time, but it's really important 
when things aren't going really well. And you can still be enthusiastic. And enthusiasm is one of those things that that's a good thing that is contagious. And it's certainly been contagious up there. And he's certainly uh, uh, energized uh, the Auburn football program with his energy and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is important in everything you do. You know, when, when I coached many years ago, we ran, I was one of those old heads that believed in running sprints out to practice. And so, um, and I, I would tell the players, hey guys, I know this is not going to be pleasant all the time, but we're going to have enthusiasm when we do it. Because if you have enthusiasm when you're doing the hard things, the tough things, then you certainly have enthusiasm when things are going right. So um, we actually had encouraged players to uh, cheer while we were running sprints. Really, uh, it was one rule that, that got them to do that. My rule was, the more enthusiasm you have, the less we gonna run. The less enthusiasm you have, the more we gonna run. So we get out there and we start running some, and y'all, you're dragging around, nobody say anything, we gonna run a lot. The players learned that they would run down and then when we get through running, they would all cheer and, and uh, we would count the sprints off. And, and we took what was could have been a negative thing and made it into a positive thing. But it allowed us to learn how to create enthusiasm when, in times when things are just a little bit tough. And I think that's a, a, a very special thing. So don't forget the importance of enthusiasm in everything that you do, whether it's your work, your family, your church, whatever's going on. Enthusiasm is a big deal. I want to thank you for, for tuning in and I hope to see you next time. This has been a minute with Coach Riggs.